Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. You can find us on the Compliance Podcast Network with a host of other interesting podcasts dedicated to our favorite topic of compliance. Today's guest on the show is Heidi Olinger, who has had a really awesome uh, uh, working history at one of the world's most recognizable brands. Welcome, Heidi. Tell us about your background. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Mary. You know, I had a long career at McDonald's. It was 31 years. Um, and I started there right out of law school. I was in the real estate legal practice group, and I did that for about nine years. And then mm-hmm. I moved into the international legal area uh, where I became a generalist and, um, the, and ultimately the Latin America general counsel which included South America, Central America, the Caribbean, and Mexico. It was an exciting time to be in that area because McDonald's was growing new markets in the in international, especially in Latin America. Mm-hmm. After, after doing that for about six years, I moved to the U.S. business where I was the Great Lakes Division General Counsel, which was a $4.2 billion business. I was able to um, put myself right in and work with the business you know, I became more of a business lawyer at that point, was able to help them with all the various business initiatives, as well as some of the legal issues they had. Uh, but that was an exciting time for me. In 2002, when Sarbanes-Oxley was passed, I was asked to lead the new compliance function at McDonald's. So the interesting thing is we never had a compliance function before that. We mm. certainly had a code of conduct. Yes, we certainly had a code of conduct, but there was no compliance function. So I started it with Mm -hmm. myself and an admin. Uh, And uh, over the next 13 years, I built it into a global program with 15 employees, including ones in Europe and Asia. Mm -hmm. That was one of my favorite jobs in the entire career at McDonald's, during my entire career at McDonald's. Um, you know, and after all those years, you know, I thought I wanted to retire uh, and, and continue to play golf and relax. But frankly, that didn't last very long. It lasted <laughs> all of about six months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I started to look around, you know, to see what I could do at this point. And um, I really wanted to continue to be able to be in the compliance space. I wanted to be able to share my experiences and my compliance knowledge. So, you know, as luck would have it, um, right around that time, Barker Gilmore, which is a boutique uh, specialized recruiting firm out of New York, they were establishing an advisory arm to their practice. You know, their primary work uh, is assisting companies in the placement of general counsel and chief compliance officers. And those are the only two large positions they they uh, they fill, but they felt that having an advisor group to assist sitting general counsels and mm-hmm. chief compliance officers with their career development or with any other timely issues or matters that these individuals may be facing on the job was an ideal platform for this new group. You know, it's easy to get assistance from someone who has who actually has sat in their seats and understands the challenges they face. You know, as I said, the advisor group 
currently consists of, you know, former general counsels from companies such as like The Gap, uh, Smuckers, MasterCard, you know, Baxter, just to name a few, and former chief compliance officers like myself. In my role, I actually provide executive coaching for chief compliance officers and their staff to help them to help them perfect their leadership and management skills. And I'm also a trusted advisor whom they can discuss issues or challenges with um, that they may be having and help uh, in their job. And, and I help them overcome any obstacles they may be facing, be it in their career development or in interaction with others in the organization. Uh, you know, I might also help by conducting compliance program assessment, assessments, helping build their compliance teams into higher performing teams, or even helping them continue to build their programs uh, into an integrated compliance program. Um, I might also assist Barker Gilmore in their recruiting efforts if they're going to fill that role um, and they're hired by someone to, to help them in, do that. You know, having someone like me is really a plus because I have been a chief compliance officer. So I know the questions to ask the interview candidates, uh, the potential candidates, and um, you know, I can help them find the right fit for a particular corporation. So while HR officers um, are capable of doing so, of course, uh, they haven't really been the chief compliance officer. So we bring an added benefit to those recruiting efforts. That's great. And um, I am wondering if any of our Listeners are out there feeling the, the same way I did when you were recounting that the retirement that wasn't, or at least wasn't to be for now, um, I'm someone that I can't sort of sunbathe and just do nothing. I need to be doing something all the time to feel productive and get a real kick out of that. So I thought, I think that's, that's going to be me in a few years time, um, <laughs> attempting to retire and perhaps um, finding myself eager to uh, turn my interests to something else instead. So I think that's relatable for a lot of um, our folks with the similar mindset. Some of our type A listeners might be uh, able to relate. And so it sounds like you're really value add um, and able to, to leverage off your strategic thinking um, and provide coaching and, and consultancy, which means that you're still in the game of compliance, but in a life after compliance kind of a role, um, seeing it from a different perspective and, and providing different value. So I'm curious to know from the new lens that you have now, um, what is your advice for compliance officers seeking new opportunities? I know that even before uh, COVID-19 hit, there were a number of um, compliance folks looking for their next new challenge, new opportunity, and seeing what the market had available. And of course, as time went on, um, there have been some involuntary uh, exits from companies. So we've got different motivations for looking around. What would your ad advice be for, for everyone who's got their eye out? Yes, I know this, this has been a very difficult time um, and certainly uh, looking for new opportunities is also going to be a challenge. But I think for compliance officers, there's always going to be a need for them um, in corporations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first thing I say is don't limit yourself. You know, look for opportunities outside of your area, um, of your state, of your area of the world. I, um, I mean, don't just focus in the U.S. If you want some international experience like I, um, like I was able to gain in my career, um, that's an opportunity or vice versa. If you're in an, 
a global market and you want to, um, you know, you want inter- international market, you want to come to the United States or to, you know, Europe, if you're in Asia, vice versa. Um, right now, you know, you need to look for those opportunities wherever they are. Uh, compliance officers, as I said, are, I believe are still in great demand due to the many changes in regulations and laws, as well as compliance failures. One of my clients um, actually was telling me that during this COVID-19, they were frontline with the business on all of the COVID-19 issues that uh, came up. So I think companies mm-hmm. with this new area that nobody knew was going to exist in, uh, mm-hmm. before this, um, I think that's going to pose an opportunity for some people to to be able to come in and assist in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, apply for a job, even if it's a stretch, mm-hmm. uh, even if you're not 100% comfortable with the position and you feel you, could, you need to just stretch a little more, you should do it. Apply mm-hmm. for it. If, if they ask you to interview, at least you'll get some interview experience. Uh, and if not, you know, at least you say you, you, you tried to, you tried. You try mm-hmm. to get to get into a particular job. And, you know, the one of the most important things that I've always found is, you know, you need to do your research. Mm-hmm. Know as much about the company as possible that you're interested in. Uh, you know, read their public filings, uh, especially uh, their public uh, SEC filings for, S- for U.S. companies like the 10Q. You know, it provides a list of the risks that they're facing so this will give you a good idea about where you can add value to the organization when you go into interview. And it will also show you where they're putting their compliance efforts because this, these are the areas they need to, uh, you know, this is, these are the areas that need mitigation. Um, and someone like a compliance officer and compliance professional are certainly ready to, to do things like that. It's great advice. Thank you, Heidi. And I would certainly echo the, um, the international experience side, uh, there was a, a time where I had no plans to ever leave uh, Wellington, my my city in New Zealand, where there's like one degree of connection between every uh, person <laughs> there. And now 10 years later, um, I am trotting around the world and um, collecting continents like Pokemon. So um, <laughs> keeping an open mind has has, I think, been huge for me. Um, so for, for many people who are lawyers, I think, um, negotiating comes naturally. Uh, I am someone where it doesn't come naturally. And in fact, I'm pretty poor at it. I remember for the course where you get admitted to the bar in New Zealand, the guy, um, that he, we were doing this sort of examination on negotiation together and he, um, was very unscrupulous and actually looked at my notes and saw my, um, <laughs> my minimum acceptable figure. So we ended up, um, agreeing to it based on, on that. So that's how bad I am at negotiation as someone who, um, is, is in, you know, more, <laughs> uh, savvy at this kind of thing. Will you share with us your top tip for compliance officers who have received an offer that's, you know, a package that's just slightly below their expectations and they wish to negotiate for a more favorable package? Well, you know, one of the first things I would say is certainly think creatively mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and maybe think just beyond the salary. You know, consider the whole package. What more are they offering? Is there a bonus? Um, are there stock options? Or do they have a 401k plan or some sort of retirement plan? Um, you know, do they offer a car? Do they have a continuing education funding? You know, find out what that whole package means. Um, also, you know, what else might you be able to negotiate? What are you interested in? Uh, more vacation time, maybe? 
uh, a one-time sign-on bonus, uh, flexible work hours. You know, if you want to focus on salary beyond the package, though, you know, first make sure you know what the fair compensation is for your experience and the size of the company. Uh, you can't go into a small corporation asking for large, uh, large sums when um, you, pro- you might be making more than uh, one of the top senior vice presidents uh, by asking for a larger salary, um, especially in small organizations. Uh, Barker Gilmore has a 2019 compliance compensation report um, that will certainly help you in determining what other compliance professionals are making. Um, as, as a total package and as salary. So I would certainly recommend doing your homework and knowing that, knowing those levels before you go in. And fr- frankly, at the end of the day, you have to focus on what you bring to the organization. And if you have done that homework, you should be in a position to find the right mix of salary and benefits. Um, and of course, you know, if, if the salary is not what you want and the package is not what you want, then I guess it's time for you to decide to move on and, and look for that right mix for yourself. Yeah, that's some good advice. And I can certainly speak highly of the, the Barker Gilmore um, salary report. Um, it, it, I haven't read the latest one, but uh, the last one that I saw uh, a couple of years back had some really interesting statistics on earnings between women compliance officers and men. And it sort of showed that at the junior levels, we seem to have relative pay parity. Uh, and then the more senior you get, uh, the the larger the, the gender gap um, in income, which I think is fascinating, although also mm-hmm. obviously terrible. Um, but you know you can't you can't start to make any kind of change or be in a position of power unless you have relevant information. And once you're armed with that, you then are on the front foot to be able to, exactly. to negotiate better. Exactly. So I wondered if I could ask you for a moment a little bit more about sign-on bonuses. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so if someone is asking for one and it hasn't been offered, what's the kind of ratio in which companies will say, okay, thanks for asking, we'll offer you one of those? You know, it, it depends on the value of the, of the candidate. You mm-hmm. know, if they, if they feel like this is someone who, first of all, can come in and start doing the job with little or no, you know, training because they have that truly, uh, you know, deep experience that they're mm-hmm. looking for. Um, sign-on bonuses have become very common. Uh, and I think that uh, if someone, if, if you feel that you've tried to negotiate the salary and they don't seem to be coming close to the number you're looking for, uh, nothing hurts. You know, it doesn't hurt to ask for it. And all they have to say is yes or no. I don't find people um, saying uh, that, you know, thank you very much, but well, we don't need to talk anymore. Again, it's a negotiation and they know mm-hmm. it and, uh, and, and both parties know it. So, um, you know, you do your best to try and get what you want. Um, and of course, as I said before, though, remember, know your value, know what you bring to the company that perhaps another candidate doesn't bring. If you have the expertise in privacy and you have so much expertise in that area and that's what they're looking for, then mm-hmm. you are the more valuable candidate and you know it. So at that point, I think you can, you know, you can leverage that into additional um, perks or additional asks from the company. 
Mm-hmm. That's great. So what I'm hearing from you is if uh, you're confident that you've got um, a strong profile for the, the job uh, that is is uh, being made available, um, you're relatively... Um, you've relatively limited baggage that you're trying to drag into the negotiation. So there's not other things that are going to cause them to hesitate. Um, If they think that this will get you in the door and secure a fantastic candidate, uh, the better your chances. Is that about right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. That sounds, that sounds good. and, And I hope people will keep it in mind. You don't lose for asking. And I, I certainly was someone, um, in, uh, earlier years of my career, who was always really nervous about scaring away an offer. And what I've learned more as I've become a hiring manager is actually there's not a whole heck of a lot of um, good compliance talent in specific geographies out there. So typically when someone has decided that they want to make you an offer, um, you're probably the best person for the job or you're the person that they want for the job. Um, And if, if you're out of the picture, that causes them to have to, not necessarily start again, but they go to a a lesser preferred candidate um, and, and they have to, to, to to negotiate with them as well. So don't be too scared about, um, about making the negotiation a conversation. You don't have to jump to accept everything within 24 hours. Um, And in fact, (laughs) I'd say it's best practice to think, the person for the offer and and um, and ask for you know a couple of days to look it over um, before you you go back. That's right. Excellent. There's nothing wrong with that. Perfect. That's that's good to know. <laughs> uh, so as you mentioned, you had a really lengthy career at McDonald's, and as um, a millennial um, who would be considered, I think, relatively flighty um, compared with you, that's really quite an, an effort. Um, how did you keep things interesting for yourself to stay committed to the same employer for such a, a great deal of time? And I would sort of, uh, I, I guess, mention that for me, um, one of the great things about um, being an expat is that every time I go to a new um, a new city, a new office, it's, it's very rejuvenating, right? It's starting something afresh. It, it keeps it interesting and intriguing because it's always not even necessarily a challenge, but just everything about it is new. So I'm guessing your move to Latin America um, and getting to do international travel um, helped to to mix things up. What else kept you motivated and interested? You know, so certainly I was always willing to take risks and learn new Mm -hmm. things. And I think that's why um, I stayed at McDonald's. And, um, you know, as you just said, you know, when I moved from real estate into international, that was there was a learning curve for me there. I, it wasn't, I wasn't an international lawyer. I didn't know mm-hmm. uh, a lot about uh, international laws, court proceedings, or even local customs and practices. Mm-hmm. You know, but I took on the role, uh, and I worked hard at immersing myself into the job and being open to the differences in cultures and business practices. You know, that was very important. And these, op- these opportunities you know, made it easy for me to stay with the company. When I moved from international uh, into division general counsel. That was another learning curve for me. Um, again, I had been an international as a GC, but coming back to the U.S. and uh, immersing myself into the business uh, at, on a more granular, granular level, uh, that was um, 
that was a challenge as well. And then, you know, ultimately taking the lead and forming and building the compliance function, you know, all of that, uh, that was, that was a new area. Uh, I didn't know anything about compliance, but, um, as I said, I always like to do a lot of homework. I always like to, uh, you know, learn a lot. I go to, I took courses. I tried to, um, you know, understand what was, uh, what, how I could excel at this function, um, you know, and, and, and in essence, you know, that's what I ended up doing. I also, you know, after I was in the, the role for a while, I went back to school and I got a master's degree in um, mm. business ethics, uh, in leadership and business ethics from Duquesne University. Uh, mm-hmm. I felt, um, you know, so passionate about ethical behavior as opposed to just a strict compliance type function mm-hmm. that um, I went back to school to try and to, uh, to understand how I could bring some of those, um, you know, ethical dilemma values and, in, in, you know, that information back to the, to the, to my workplace. Um, so that helps. So, you know, I certainly encourage uh, anyone who wants to do something new, you know, to look around and see what interests you. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, I got the international legal job because I wanted to work in international. Um, I, I'm fluent in Spanish, so I thought, you know, I, I have something uh, to offer. And mm-hmm. so I went to the head of the department, the, the head of the, real, of the international legal, um, the general counsel, and I told him of my interest and I expressed an interest. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, thank you very much. And, um, you know, we, we don't have an opportunity right now. But when an opportunity opened up, he called me up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so that's why I, I ended up working there, uh, in that area. And then ultimately, you know, became the Latin America general counsel. So, you know, as I say, either speak to the head of a department, express an interest in mm-hmm. what you may be in looking for, you know, or offer to help, offer to take mm-hmm. on an assignment, offer to, to give, to be a part of some project that uh, might interest you. And then even then that'll help you because then you can dip your toe and see if in fact, you know, I think I like that, but then after the project, you may say, Hmm, I don't know. That wasn't as great as I thought it was, or (laughs) yes, I want to do this or yes, Mm -hmm. I really want to do this. So I'm going to figure out how to do that. Does that mean I Mm -hmm. go back to school? I take some classes. Does that mean I, I, uh, I continue to, um, to ask, you know, people there for continued projects. So I'm becoming more valuable. Those are the things you have to think about. Excellent. That's some some great advice there. And then thinking about this um, industry that you would know so well, um, will you share with us some of the key risks? What are the key compliance risks for, oh. for the restaurant industry? You know, obviously right now, COVID-19, you know, it's certainly mm-hmm. affecting the way restaurants are looking at how they provide their services. You know, mm-hmm. restaurants, uh, maybe unlike a lot of other areas, a lot of other businesses, they have always been focused on cleanliness and safety. You know, that's how they make their money. Um, you know, so their focus uh, will probably be further magnified to look at ways to protect their employees and customers. Um, beyond that, also, restaurants have continuously been looking for ways to innovate uh, the back of the house so that they can work faster and smarter. You know, things like food labeling, prepping, you know, recalling, inventory, uh, checklists, reducing waste, all of those are critical elements of the back of the house of a restaurant. And innovation in this area is going to be critical as things, as you move forward. Um, there are a lot of uh, tasks that need to be automated to reduce human error and to help manage their day-to-day uh, processes so, uh, so that they don't uh, lose their customer trust, you know, while maximizing profits. Because again, they're still in the business of, of making money. 
Wonderful. Thank you. And um, will you tell us about a successful project that you led for the compliance department at McDonald's that shaped tone and culture at the company? Well, you know, as I said before, I started the function. So mm-hmm. I really did. I re- yeah, I really feel like I mm-hmm. helped shape the tone and culture of the company. Um, I have to say that one of the things that impressed me when I started at McDonald's was that uh, doing things the right way was the culture. You know, it was prevalent mm-hmm. throughout the organization. But mm-hmm. I was able to take that foundation um, and with the compliance function, expand it outside of the U.S., um, through, well, throughout the U.S. and through, throughout all of the global offices. Uh, mm-hmm. Compliance function, so, so for, for example, in Asia Pacific, um, in the Asia Pacific apnea market, which is what we've called it, um, they, uh, the compliance function wasn't totally built out. You know, they, people didn't understand it. So I was able to express and explain it um, and, and, and talk to them about what it meant to have an ethical business practices at McDonald's and our ex- what our expectations were um, in this area. So, you know, I'm most proud of, uh, of that project and, and having, you know, expanded it outside, ultimately having someone in Europe, ultimately having someone in Asia, and ultimately having uh, what we called ethics, uh, you know, most, some companies call them ambassadors. We mm-hmm. call them ethics, uh, ethics liaisons. Mm-hmm. So we had ethics, ethics liaisons at, at different, in different countries, um, in different countries throughout the world. And frankly, um, you know, this was an add-on job. They didn't, this wasn't mm. their only role, mm-hmm. like some companies. Uh, so, you know, getting someone to agree to do this meant that we had succeeded in convincing management and the individual that this was important. And if you, and it, and people who had a passion for it, you know, really appreciated being a part of our group. Mm. That's a great one. Thank you for that. And what is something that the McDonald's compliance program does exceedingly well that other companies can learn from? Well, you know, a, a lot of companies have great compliance programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and one of the things that McDonald's, you know, McDonald's was not, has not really been traditionally a high-tech company. So one of our strengths was always our communication efforts and mm-hmm. our ability to communicate to all of our markets. We were in 118 markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was there, um, one of the one of the key initiatives uh, our team worked on was the development of a McDonald's compliance app so mm-hmm. that all employees could find the code of conduct and the mm-hmm. hotline information on their mobile phones. You know, mm-hmm. many large companies today don't have such an app. No, um, and right. I know because, and I know because I, you know, I, I have been, um, I've consulted with companies and I've assisted them with their programs. And mm-hmm. one of the first things I tell them is to look to add an app, on their, on the employees' phones. You know, mm-hmm. I really recommend that companies do that. So I was particularly proud of the fact that the program has that, um, uh, maybe not ahead of the curve for a lot of companies, but certainly ahead of the curve for, uh, for, um, many other companies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it makes it easier for your employees, uh, to, uh, keep your program top of mind. And if they have any questions, the app also allowed people to, um, to submit whistleblower complaints uh, right. if they had one. So, yep. you know, those are the kind of things that I think um, take take compliance programs to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if, if you want to continuously improve in this area, that would certainly be one area where I would say that McDonald's did it well and uh, recommended for other companies. 
Yeah, that that's great. And and I'm with you on that. I worked in consultancy uh, going back um, sort of five, six years now. And uh, at that time, at least, um, a lot of companies d- didn't deploy the use of apps. I know several were thinking about it, um, but but actually getting it done and rolling it out was a, a different story. So the fact that McDonald's had success there, I think, does speak very highly of, of an advanced aspect of, of compliance communication and also that accessibility and approachability of um, the, the hotline to employees as well as key mm-hmm. information being uh, to hand at all times. And then finally, Heidi, um, taking into account uh, your your decisions to, to try something new, I'm, I'm keen to hear your advice for someone thinking about leaving compliance to try something different, whether it be retirement or otherwise. <laughs> okay, well, if you're going to retire, I would certainly recommend you have a uh, a more detailed plan on what you want to do than I had. <laughs> but, so really, you know, sit down and decide what you really want to do. You know, mm-hmm. what would make you happy? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself. Then again, my, you know, my homework theory, research how to get there. You know, mm-hmm. don't, li- don't limit yourself. I am on the board of directors of a publicly, publicly held corporation on the NASDAQ. And mm-hmm. I think this is a super opportunity for compliance officers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many companies have had many companies have had compliance failures, yes. um, and having a compliance officer on the board can yes. help ensure someone is asking the right questions about the mm-hmm. risk and the company's mitigation efforts. You know, yeah. so don't don't say never uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to getting a, getting a board seat, and don't let anyone tell you uh, that you won't be considered for one because you're either a lawyer or you're a chief compliance officer or you're both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and finally, you know, you need to make your own future. You know, find something you're passionate about and go after it. Find mm-hmm. those people in, in areas where you, of, of your interest, of interest, and talk to them. You know, continue networking. I know networking is one of those words everyone continues to use, but it, it, it never, it doesn't fail. If you, um, mm-hmm. that's how I got my job and the board of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was networking and, and ultimately uh, was able to, um, uh, get the seat as a result of that. So network, um, you know, continue to talk to people, find out, you know, what they're doing and, and find something you're passionate about and mm-hmm. go after it. And again, the other thing um, that helped my career and I think uh, sometimes holds people back is uh, you need to take risks. And I know mm-hmm. people are nervous sometimes about that. They're nervous mm-hmm. about potential failure. But if you don't take risks, then you don't know if something, you know, wonderful can open up for you. Um, and don't let people limit you or mm-hmm. put you in a box. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because you've done certain things and people say, well, you've only done this. Again, you know, uh, ex- you know open up, open, open your mind beyond your limits and make sure you can express how you bring value for whatever you want to do or where your interests lie. Mm. Very wise words there. Um, Thank you so much, (laughs) Heidi. You're such a delight. Thank you for all of the contributions that you've made to the legal and compliance community and that you continue um, to add value. We appreciate um, all that you do for everyone. Thank you so much for your time.
Thank you also, you know, Mary, and, you know, congratulations to you and to Lisa for um, this wonderful platform. Um, you know, as, as a female myself, I, um, you know, I'm an advocate for women and, uh, and for their continued growth. And, you know, obviously we need more women on the board of direct, on boards of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, uh, and of course, you know, it, 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 it these things take time, but you know, yeah. as we continue the conversation, as we're opening up these conversations, I think they're very helpful. Thank, Thank you, you again. Heidi. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.